We promise we will find out about more films, including this one, Happy End, which is in cinemas now, the new Michael Haneke film starring Isabel Huppert. It had its Australian premiere at the Sydney Film Festival last year, where I think at least a couple of us caught it. Um, it is a sequel of sorts to A More. He's Best Picture nominee from 2012, I think it was. Yeah. And it is a, it's called Happy End for a reason. And the best tradition is Michael Haneke. It does not end as you would think. It is not a. It's not happy. It, it is not happy. What did we think of Happy End? Well, I think Michael Haneke is a liar, but we're liars <laughs> as well because it was just said that there would be fighting about Happy End. <laughs> but I can't imagine, like, I, I'll just come out and say I didn't like this film. And I can't imagine anybody liking it. So I don't think there'll be much disagreement over this one. Yeah, but uh, sometimes I think that's the point. If anybody actually does end up liking a Michael Haneke film, either they've misread the film or maybe it's just... I don't know. He tries to make these social satires about rich people and class struggles, but ends up being really cold and attached. There is no emotional sense y- yeah. in any of his movies. Um, especially not this one. Like I, I've, I'm up and down with him. I found him effective. I don't like some of the smugness he can show towards his audience. Um, but I think he's made some intriguing films in the past. But the elements that have made those films intriguing are on display in this one and fall completely flat on its face. This movie is so boring. I think the problem with it is it's really aesthetically removed and distant. It withholds plot information, I think, in an attempt to create intrigue. So you're never quite sure exactly how what you're seeing at the moment fits into what's come before or who these people are, and you gradually piece together the details as the film goes on. And it's also just cold in terms of the drama. You know, we're really held at a distance without many positive traits of these characters being shown to us but the net result of all of this building up is that it's like give me something to hang on to there's no hook there's nothing to generate interest um you know the withholding of plot details could have been intriguing if there was something about the characters that made us want to know more about them but if you're not going to give us that and you're going to pace it at a snail's pace there's just nothing going on well, speaking of the characters, I could hardly believe, I didn't realize until later, that it was the same character from Amor. It feels like yep. an entirely different film, a different genre. Isabel Huppert also reappearing. And the film... It feels totally different. That film is, is like so warm and humane in comparison to this. <laughs> and that's not, a, not exactly a warm film. And this, yes. film this film lingers on its scenes. It hovers. It lags. It, it points the camera at something, just lets it sit there, and it wants you to think it is funny. It is saying, laugh, laugh now. There's a, dining, there's a scene in the dining table in a dining room which wanted to be goes hilarious. On a long time. Go, just, just goes on too long. It never says it's welcome. The whole film does. It feels like it's on the verge of becoming a... Uh, you know, a sharp, barbed social satire, and it's on the verge of becoming a thriller, but it never does. So I think there is a little bit of that old Michael Haneke funny game smugness going in here. Like he's teasing the audience into thinking they're going to get some sort of film and not giving them that at all. Well, it's a really sad film. I mean, I generally mean it. I mean, it makes you sad that the film doesn't accomplish what it sets out to do. It's a sad film in the sense that the characters... Characters are sad. always sad, and it makes you feel sad because you are t- essentially tricked into watching something that it isn't. Well, 
Look, I, I, we've been trashing on this film. I'm going to say that just the two things I did enjoy about it, and those were the two final scenes which happened in tandem. One is one that's been heavily promoted in the context of the film involving a lunch party and a number of very unwelcome guests, and another is a very darkly comic sequence that happens in the adjoining ocean, and those yeah. sequences were like good, and it felt like he was building the whole film to this. But Definitely. Um, okay, it's interesting how Virat just said that it's sad that the film doesn't accomplish what it was trying to do because I agree with that. Thinking about the two scenes that Glenn just mentioned, I think you can get a sense of what Haneke wanted to accomplish with this film. And I think to some extent, it's a pretty noble goal. I appreciate the ambition. I think what he was trying to do here is create, instead of building a story in the traditional way that we would in any of the more conventional genres that he's hinting towards, He's trying to make a film out of portraits. You know, like the, the the two final scenes that Glenn described are so much like landscape paintings, you know, with the characters being little figures in there and, you know, the image tells the story. And I think once you realize that, you see that all, a lot of the earlier little vignettes are just there to create a, an image that tells a story. And I think it obscures what it's really about until the end and gradually reveals itself more and more about drawing parallels between this psychopathic little girl and the very, very bitter old man and does so by withholding information. And, you know, the idea, I think, is to create intrigue and move our attention closer and closer to them until they're the center of the, this final portrait he puts together. It's and, interesting. Uh, yeah, it's a great idea, but it just didn't work. It's interesting the way you put that, Chris, because it makes it feel that this film is very interpersonal, mm. except it's not. I, yeah, I, I think it, it should have worked. <laughs> yes. it, it should have been more interpersonal for this strategy to work, because that would have created some level of intrigue linking together these different portrait or vignettes. Instead, I think you're right. It feels quite smug in the sense that you have Haneke trying to do the social satire about class divides and how people from different strata of society are detached from the rest of the world and the people, in fact, the society they live in, in that sense. But even that falls flat because you're not given vital information about the strata to begin with as to yeah. what place these people belong. And that was Happy End. It is in cinemas now. Speaking of films that are not interpersonal and divorced from ideas of class and society, we are talking Fifty Shades of Grey <laughs> next. Before we get into that, we are uh, very, sorry, actually very sad. Jahan Johansson passed away this week, film composer, at the age of 48. Um, he had fil- scored a number of films, including a number of Diddy Villeneuve films. We were playing a few of those scores today, and we'll be back. This is the score from Arrival, and we'll be back in a few moments. Stay tuned.
And that was Johan Johansson's Arrival. We'll be playing another one later in the program. Um, excellent composer. We don't talk enough about film composition on this show, but there are some absolutely phenomenal composers out there. And I know we played some from Hans Zimmer's Interstellar last year and a few others, but I think I'd like to do a few more, maybe dedicate an episode to just talking about some of the amazing music that happens in cinema, especially Oscar season coming up. Yeah, that'll be good and uh, something different to fight about or compliment about, uh, depending on uh, how we're <laughs> feeling that week. Yes, and speaking of our next thing, we are talking about the probably the biggest release in the past couple of weeks, which is Fifty Shades Freed, which is probably what the two stars were saying to each other as the film drew to a close. We're free! Uh, the, the press tour for this has been infamous. The two main actors um, have values that they do not particularly enjoy the making doing the project or spending a lot of so much time together i think they'd be looking forward to doing other things look the thing is we've been teasing about this movie for the past two weeks so we've given this movie its fair share of we've given it more than it deserves by the sound of what you guys (laughs) have said to me before we started recording exactly and now we're gonna actually talk about it again so wow Yes, so this is Fifty Shades 3. It is the third E.L. James adaptation. That was an interesting Freudian slip. You said Fifty Shades 3. 3. Whoa. Yes, it is Fifty Shades 3. They should have called it 150 Shades of Grey. That would have made a much, a lot more sense. 53 Shades of Grey. Oh, Ooh. wow. And it is and it is in cinemas now. It is starring Hollywood royalty Dakota Johnston. And <laughs> she is. She is. Absolutely. And human pummel horse and probably the most handsome man alive, has Jamie Dornan. Hollywood princess, or is it queen, uh, Dakota Johnson been in other than non-Hollywood movie A Bigger Splash and this series? No, that 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 thing, How to Be Single, right? Yes. Oh, Rebel, my God. With Australia's and Rebel Wilson. Yes. Well, yes. Uh, no. Also was... Hollywood royalty, yeah. Rebel Wilson. <laughs> More rebellious, whatever, yeah. uh, because I don't want her to sue me. Uh, oh, that was... Yeah, I, I didn't enjoy that film as much. I felt like Rebel Wilson's character was written in it. Anyway, we are talk, not talking about <laughs> that movie. This well, is you're, you're just so keen to talk about Fifty Shades, <laughs> you know? You can tell. You, you, instead of Fifty Shades, you're so talking about How to Be Single. We're That's talking about everything else but Fifty Shades. I'm just projecting, you know, uh, because How to Be Single is the story of my life. Oh, <laughs> we're sorry. Wait, wait. This is film Fight Club. Don't feel sympathy. Don't feel sympathy. <laughs> so, this film, um, in this one, in the third one, we should just call it the third one, they're, at the very beginning, they get married. It's all about the honeymoon, dramas, life together, and whether... Um, Dakota Johnson's character, Anastasia Seal, live with someone whose tastes are, quote, singular, and also her aspiring career as a publisher. Now, every year these films come out, and there is an avalanche of invective from critics. It's really quite incredible to read. It's like every time a Dan Brown adaptation comes out. Now, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction, and I'm going to say what I actually liked about the series, and that was elements of the first film. It had its problems, but I'm going to say there were parts of it that were hugely underrated. It was a romantic drama with interesting power dynamics where each of the actors were invested in their characters and actually didn't take it too seriously. There were You could tell J.B. Dawn was like, I'm going to have a bit of fun, so whatever. But this is not the second film and it is not the third film. They were filmed together. There's nothing in this film like the boardroom scene, which was actually really, really well done. It must be said, spectacularly well lit. Look, Honestly, first of all, Anastasia Steele is supposed to be a publisher, right? And as someone who wants to be a novelist, I really, really, really feel sorry for publishers and their representation on screen is now going to be <laughs> compared with Anastasia Steele. This yeah. is Are you sure farcical. she's not a porn star? Anastasia Steele is a porn star name, if ever I've heard one. <laughs> there's, there's a scene in this film where, in the context of a, a publishing role, a character just w- walks in and says... 
that makes no sense. And it feels like she's... There's a, a large part of the audience that's you know, commenting on this film more generally. But look, there's a couple of sequences in this film which I will say were all right. There was a drunken confrontation about halfway through the film which is evoked some elements of the first film. There's a fun sequence on the piano where Jamie Dornan sings Maybe I'm Amazed. And there's the ice cream sequence which has actually gone a lot of publicity but is one of the only few scenes in the film where the actors actually look like they're actually invested in the characters and would not rather be anywhere else. Now, having said that, the screenwriters are the others who are regretfully not so invested in this film. Unlike the first one, this is not a romantic drama. This is a thriller and a bad one. And in many respects, it's like the James Bond films. There are crazy action sequences out of nowhere. There's fast cars, beautiful people, holidays in Europe, a ridiculous villain. I didn't even know what he was doing there. And dialogue that was not recognizably human, except... Bond is a tongue-in-cheek series. This wanted to be everything, and you can't have a helicopter crash and this and that, and car chases and kidnappings, making any of this up, which distracted from the elements of what the first film was really quite interesting and, in that respect, in some respects, quite well done. Honestly, look, this film finally, Anastasia Steele's character, says something which I was dearly hoping she should have said the moment the first film happened, which is, Christian, you need to just grow up. I think that was yes. my favorite line in the entire series installment of three films. Do they cut because... to black after that? Is that just like the end? <laughs> because, but like, I would, I would cheer. I, I know, but <laughs> the thing is, honestly, that is something so basic about Christian Grey's character that we needed three films to establish. And I'm like, that is the level we're operating at, which is really sad, yeah, that, but also comically funny. That should be apparent from the massive clinginess from the very first installment. No, but apparently we needed three films to have that realization, that moment, the epiphany, and other things. But, but to be honest, look, honestly, this film tried to give Anastasia Steele's character some kind of spine. She had her own opinions for once, which I was t- terribly surprised by, because the actual series doesn't give any hints that she has any opinions of her own until this third film. And I'm like, whoa, 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 where is this coming from? This is a completely new film, almost a different universe to begin with which it is i mean it's not part of this universe too <laughs> so it's honest it's there's it's a very abrupt change of the characters between not just second and third film but each film in general i mean it was penned by different screenwriters and written by different direct directed by different directors so um they were tonally very very different um the other thing i'll say about this is uh, this any discussion of this, this these this series can't take place without its two forebears one avowed and one reluctant one is twilight and this started as twilight fan fiction and just like with twilight there are several characters who have some arcs you can't really remember their name you can't really remember if they were in the other films and they're just kind of there to flit in and out except there's no fun anna kendrick sidekick who's kind of there with the comic relief wouldn't it be great if twilight ended with edward you need to grow up As someone who was on Team Jacob, I'm just going to say yes. <laughs> yes, honestly. But, like, on, it's it, it's so weird in the sense that this film is not sexy. Like, can we just accept that? It's weird because this film is sort of marketed as this sort of raunchy, sexual, Valentine's Day kind of marketing gimmick. Valentine's Day extravaganza. Whatever, yeah, you know, that you're supposed to, like, oh, my God, look at these incredibly deviant slash kinky sexual acts which are not deviant or kinky or, you know, set in some kind of universal acceptance of dynamic of what is supposedly dominant submissive to begin with. So I'm like, what is this? It's it's, it's cringy and 
really bad hip hop music to be, you know complement that. Well, there was one Taylor Swift song, so we'll defend the uh, film in that regard. But um, I have to agree. I mean, <laughs> the uh, the first film, notably in France, got the equivalent of a PG fifteen rating. Yeah, but the French know what's up. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to all our listeners from Paris. Or <laughs> that, that's a better joke than any line in Fifty Shades Freed. Uh, look, the last thing. Fifty Shades Freed. Three D. Oh, oh, that's oh, what they no, should have done. No, that's what they should have done. And like really 3D. ramp up the sexiness with the three D. <laughs> I, I think you're going towards more Gaspar Noe love three yeah. D kind of dynamic, <laughs> which is still more vagrant dynamic and sort of you know actually deviant than what anything in Fifty Shades that was an interesting movie like I think it didn't it didn't it didn't really work but <laughs> how key are we to talk about it? yeah <laughs> okay we are, we are moving on to Fantastic Woman shortly the last thing I'll say about Fifty Shades Freed is that the other forebear it's a very reluctant forebear is the BBC series The Fall which also stars Jamie Dornan and what in what in some respects is a very similar character. This came out before Fifty Shades, and it is a drama, it is a thriller, and he would not have gotten the role in Fifty Shades or the notoriety thereof if he had not done this role previously. So uh, this is an excellent show, and this if you are a fan of excellent drama, I would highly recommend it. It's streaming on Netflix now. It is a very different kettle of fish. Uh, I know it has... We really don't want to talk about Fifty Shades, do we? <laughs> it has We're taking every, any opportunity we can to talk about anything else. Yeah. Well, yeah, well th- anything else is in cinemas now. We will be back shortly. Wasn't that like a Woody Allen movie with Jason Biggs from 2004? We can't oh, talk about Woody Allen. That. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yep. Anyway, sure let's, let's talk about something that isn't Fifty Shades of Grey. In a moment. Because yes. We have, this is the score for Sorry by Johanna Johansson. We'll be back momentarily. Stay tuned. That was the excellent score for Sicario. For Sicario, yeah. Um, I'd just like to point out that despite us playing the most ominous, brooding scores ever, Johan Johansson also composed a lot of very beautiful, more introspective and pretty melodies. He was a very, very talented composer whose career in film was just getting started and he'll be dearly missed. And we are talking about Fanta- Fantastic Woman next. I just want to touch base, though, on the double passes. That email, again, is win at 2SER for the two double passes to 222, courtesy of Iconic. Uh, which is in release Win at Newtown. at 2SER.com. Yes. Dot .au. And that is starring Therese Palmer and Michael Hisman. And yeah, if you don't, and please be the, one of the first two. And if you don't, we'll have another giveaway next week. But for next up, we are talking A Fantastic One, which is in cinemas tomorrow. Yeah. Um, all right. It's uh, been the darling of the film festival circuit since Berlin last year. So now, a year after that, it's time for us to trash it on Film Fight Club. <laughs> a Fantastic Woman is about trans women called Marina whose partner dies and then everybody is horrible to her for the next two hours. I really didn't like this film. Wow. What did you think, Virat? <laughs> that's that, straightforward. That, that's a very nice deflection, Glenn. Thank you. Uh, 
basically basically to to elaborate a little bit more it's about how you know the family of this of the dead guy don't like marina um they put up obstacles to her seeing the body or being at his funeral um and they their cruelty to her is escalated as the film goes on to grotesque levels. I, I can see where Chris is coming from in the sense that this film feels like the most Oscar baity narrative. It's really Oscar baity, you know, in whatever recent yeah. memory you can think of, and can remind you of that other Eddie Redmayne movie, but we should never mention because that was also and terrible to begin with, uh, you know. But uh, also. Uh, I did enjoy Daniel Vega's performance in this. So, in, in terms of the actual performances, this movie was quite decent. Props for having a trans person playing a trans person. Yes. So, so that too. Take but, that, Eddie Redmayne. But also, uh, you know, it's maybe the kind of troubles that this character goes through is not that farcical, given that you know the treatment of trans people is not necessarily the best out there in the world. Yeah. Look, it's pretty extreme. The um, the awfulness that she's subjected to but i think the reason why it feels cheap for me even if that does happen in the real world is because we never really get to know that much about marina or we never really get to know that much about the people who are being cruel to her it's so it just becomes like a very simplistic kind of moral tale that tells us a moral that Everyone going to this movie already knows, which is be nice to people and don't be cruel yeah, to trans it, people for it, no reason. It's it's more like a moral fable, you're right. It's, yeah. it's shape of water. It's basically, we don't know anything about Marina except that bad things are happening to her, and then we watch people we don't know anything about be cruel to her. So it doesn't feel like it has any depth as a tragedy for that reason. Um, we can't see the reasons people are going to these these places beyond just knee-jerk reflexiveness, you know, anti-trans feelings. Um, we the, This movie is feels just in general like a film that doesn't tell you anything you don't already know. Um, a, something that exemplifies this to me is that throughout the film there's these surreal kind of dream sequences, but they feel just like a directorial self-indulgence to me because all they do is underline the things that are plainly apparent in the narrative like marina doesn't like the current situation and wants to escape or marina feels the world is against her you can tell that just from my description you know you don't need to go into surreal metaphors in order to bring that home it just feels like um a movie that's all surface level and in the way that it's it's it becomes misery porn you know by not justifying itself with further depth so i found it to be quite exploitative and manipulative and preaching a message people already know, which is why I would compare it to Oscar Pate. Um, can I ask you a question? Uh, there's a couple of films that are nominated as well this year on Body and Souls nominated in The Square, which is a very different film. Those um, are both we... better than this, I think. Okay. In, in was, my eyes, yeah. There was um, a question. Do you think one of those would be more likely to take out the I think a fantastic woman will win because, um, you know, political climate... It's a movie that says, you know, that pat yourself on the back because you're watching this movie and you know these people who are comedically awful to the trans woman who's the center of it. You know they're bad. You know, reward it. You know, show that you're on the side of good. It, it's just made to flatter left-wing audiences, essentially. It's not... Um, but the Oscars tend to go for that. 
that you know there's a reason we associate these kinds of like morally upright upstanding movies with the oscars i think they'll go for that because the square is a dark um difficult to get into satire and on body and soul is is quite a subtle romance and a small film you know the oscars don't tend to go to small films no matter how good they are so I reckon this will be taking home the statue. All right, so that is A Fantastic Woman. It is in cinemas tomorrow. Um, just again, that address is win2scr. Just send us your address. 2scr.com.au. Win at 2scr.com. And then all you have to do is send us your address. The first two will get their double passes or the DVD to 222. To be now, clear, sorry, is it 2scr.com.au or just yeah, .com? Win at 2scr.com. Okay. Yes. Got it. And the <laughs> last film we're talking about, we just have a oh, very short amount of time left, is Or Virat. Yes, so always a interesting Telugu film directed by Prashant, uh, Prashant Verma. And it is really interesting in the sense that it's a mixture, it's a genre-bending mashup of a lot of genres. Basically, the format and structure is really interesting. It's set in one location, but follows six different storylines uh, in about five minutes each, and you go back and forth. And each storyline has got elements of different genres. So one is a horror story. There is fantastical elements. There is also sci-fi. One is a rom-com narrative. And you kind of find out, trying to piece together as the narrative goes on about how these stories come together, or it maybe they cool. don't. You know, so it's interesting because you don't actually realize if the narrative intertwine, and you're often going back and forth, and you're giving snippets. So you know, one thing happens in one story, then you transport it into somewhere else. To give you context, there is a talking goldfish, a talking tree, <laughs> there's a scientist going back in time, there is a magician, there is basically, you know, the devil, Satan, there's everything in this movie, so prepare to be amazed. And it's technically brilliant. It's one of the more technically brilliant movies I've seen in a long time. This it's, sounds awesome. Bollywood is still providing interesting things that you can't see outside of the cinema. It's uh, it's a Telugu film industry, not Bollywood, which is also why I'm afraid Uh, it might actually be taken off in like less than a week. So when is it in cinemas? It's in cinemas right now in event cinemas. It's in cinemas now, as is Fifty Shades Freed, A Fantastic Woman is in cinemas tomorrow, and Happy Happy End is in cinemas now. Um, We will be back next week talking about Red Sparrow, the Jennifer Lawrence, Joel Edgerton film, and we'll also be talking about the Oscars, because that week we'll talk, we talked about what we think should win, we'll be talking about what we think will win, Um, um, that address again is win at 2scr.com. Just send us your address. We can mail you out those DVDs or the uh, two double passes. Be the first, and you'll get it. It is 2.22s in cinemas tomorrow. Uh, we'll be back next week. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Good night. Good night all. Good night.